0: shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change
1: the way we live and work in the future. Coming up...
0: Don't let the prior conceptions, I guess, of how they must go about deploying their networks dictate how they move forward in the future. There are different ways in terms of business models and partners out there that just didn't exist five years ago be open-minded and come and do your due diligence scrutinize it a lot on on whatever network and whichever partner you work with the same way you do anything with the processes and protocols but this is the the time to get out there and get as much market share as, as possible and get some real meaningful coverage
1: you're listening to the future rhythmic podcast with michael hainsworth a nokia original series of delivering 5g service was lower as communications service providers struggle with the problem of building bigger pipes to handle the increased speeds and demands of ultra low latency communications devices like augmented reality headsets and autonomous vehicles there is a solution openness and neutral hosts ben botry jobson is the ceo of sci-fi an international fiber-to-the-home network developer that helps CSPs by turning the capital expenditure of a fresh fiber rollout into the operating expenditure of using open networks. The bean counters know this frees up cash to expand elsewhere and avoids the recurring cost of maintenance and upgrades. But while the CSP's CFO knows this, does the CEO? We began our conversation by pointing out Sci-Fi is not an internet service provider.
0: No, you're, you're quite right. Sci-Fi is a fiber optic network developer. So we do not provide the end services to customers. What we do is we fund, build, and then operate the entirety of the infrastructure that then enables the delivery of service across it. So we, we are a developer that creates the infrastructure, builds the infrastructure, and then we wholesale that access out to service providers who then provide that customer-facing relationship. Um, for for, uh, for your you know, r- normal residential or business you know, internet you know, uh, data connectivity needs.
1: So then what makes you unique from other neutral host providers, aside from the fact that until relatively recently, there weren't a lot of you up there?
0: Yeah. So, well, you, you sort of took my first part of the answer is that yeah, to start <laughs> with, we, we were pretty much the first privately funded open access or neutral operator yeah, in, in the U.S., certainly of any scale. Uh, until recently, as you point out, there's a f- there's a few others that are, are coming into the scene, and and to be honest, we 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 don't we don't mind that. It, it, for us, it's a little bit of a vindication and a and a compliment to our business model being being the right one for uh, for the market and for for the US. Um, so the, the, I guess the main thing that now remains us as a as a big unique is um, being that farther ahead of the curve, so having more markets operational, which is vital in giving you scale. So one of the one of the big points to being you know, competitive when you're wholesaling out networks and being able to provide a, a great solution to service providers, actually being able to provide scale, and that's something that that we we have and are getting in, in abundance now even further as as we progress throughout this year.
1: So you control the end to end network, an ISP doesn't need to bring their own equipment in, which I can imagine helps them tremendously on the capex side of things. Is this how you define open access network and neutral hosts? Like, what's the role as well that they play in the future of the industry?
0: Good question. And there's a few there's a few different answers in there, and one of them sort of speaks a little bit to the USP as well. So, what what we look at as a as an infrastructure provider, you know, providing this you know last mile fiber optic network past every single home and business in a city, is we're not just going out there to be a service provider, as we as you've already quite rightly pointed out. What that enables us to do is think about you know, a neutral platform that enables dozens of different types of applications and dozens of different types of service providers to be able to access access the network and for us that that's what the openness is, is really about is isn't just about providing competition for internet it's about creating an infrastructure that is built and architected in the right way from day one so as to allow for smart city applications government healthcare services uh, government uh, services and healthcare services to all flow across the same common infrastructure. So you only have to dig once. You don't have to dig in three or four or five or more different fiber optic networks. It makes no sense when you can have one network that can deliver all the same services across that one infrastructure.
1: So you talk about smart cities type technologies. It sounds like the diverse niche products that both yourself and neutral hosts, generally speaking are capable of providing, is a real industry 4.0, sort of next generation society infrastructure.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And by having that neutral host, you know, you, you don't have a, a competitor, you, know, you don't have the fox watching the hen house. You, know, you have a neutral host there. So it, it enables that ability to foster that environment for other providers to get on there, knowing that there is that neutral environment, that there's going to be fair competition. So it does create not just a new wave of infrastructure, but a new wave of free market competition, or certainly the enablement of the, of those environments. Obviously, what what the service providers end up doing on that platform, and who acquires who, or or who um, who wants to develop what types of products to enter which type of market, yeah, you know, or market segments within those markets, yeah, you know, we leave to them. You know, we don't want to get involved in that. You know, there there are organisations and, and people out there that are on the cutting edge of fantastic innovations to to meet customers' requirements and. We're not that piece? We are the putting yeah putting in that bedrock of a yeah fantastic platform to enable them to
1: succeed. So if we are going to get security services, telemedicine, you know, standard mobile phone service, as well as all of that smart technology for the next generation city. Tell me about that environment because corporate culture is critical to the success of openness. Has the CSP community evolved enough to accept and welcome open networking and bringing in partners like this?
0: It historically hasn't outright. You know, in in the last mile, you know, even though historically, um, you know, mid mile networks, long haul fiber networks, mobile cell towers, um, quite freely and, and readily shared, and that was encouraged and has been uh, you know adopted by. You know, the, the big you know, corporate players in the industry. But in the last mile, uh, there's been a lot of reticence there. and you know These large segregations across the country that uh, are very easy to map out where you have essentially regional duopolies, a cable company, a telco, uh, that dominate the marketplace, really carved up the nation into, into certain quadrants and regions. Uh, and that in itself has, has then led to a, a lack of investment then in, in that infrastructure over time, um, pricing has increased, service customer service has decreased, and and then with the with the advent of fibre optics and now the affordability of of deploying fibre optics, it provides an opportunity for a real yeah, revolution, a broadband revolution to come into place into these markets. Um, so I'd say yeah, the cor- corporate culture, whether it's the culture as such as 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 much as the philosophy and the strategy, has been changing, will change more over time as we as we move down this path and more of these networks become available because of as I mentioned earlier what makes it attractive to yeah you know, the larger you know uh, incumbent providers is when you hit a threshold that you can actually provide them scale it's well and good having a great competitive network that serves 20,000 homes that's not really going to shift the dial for for the big you know for the big carriers and, and service providers in the country so you've got to be able to provide this solution you've got to be able to provide it with the right economics to meet their expectations and their shareholders' expectations. And then you've got to be able to provide them enough scale to warrant a strategic shift. And we're just getting towards that type of threshold now, I'd say.
1: So then what does it take to bring greater acceptance more quickly? Do we have to turn to the invisible hand of the markets and guide it somewhat?
0: <laughs> We've been doing our small part for a while. You know, uh, the, the quiet private advocates on on the sidelines, you know, broadband com- communities for uh, for nearly a decade. Uh, but we're just starting to really find prevalence in the market, and say and find that scale. Uh, yeah, there's one thing that forces it in other markets you know, around around Europe and and Asia, uh, is is something that you know is almost a, a hushed word in the U.S. in comparison, which is regulation. Uh, so you can regulate it and have you know intervention, government intervention to to force these types of competitive environments because it's better for the proliferation of these networks, which is better for the infrastructure and for the services and then thus for the economy and society as a whole. Um, Or you can create subsidised programmes and and fiscally step in to help, which you see through the the Biden administration's implementation with their infrastructure bill. Um, But that solves one segment of it. It solves the infrastructure component in some markets It doesn't solve it for a lot of other markets um, that aren't underserved or unserved, and it doesn't solve um, necessarily the long-term competition. It's all well and good having investment of a fiber optic network in a city uh, today uh, with one service provider that owns and controls the whole market, uh, the whole infrastructure, but then fast forward 15 years and you find yourself in another monopoly, Um, whereas through the inception of... You know our type of business model, where you have a, a neutrally hosted network. Um, you know, creating that three-layer le- model, the separation of infrastructure from the neutral operator, and then the service providers able to access it on top. You ensure that long-term competitive nature and market, yeah, um, which is going to only drive better innovation, better services and products um, throughout throughout the US.
1: One of the things we learned on this podcast was that in the early days of COVID-19, when everyone was working from home who could, that the ISP community found that their five-year plan to expand their broadband capability was consumed within a month. (laughs) What was it like within your world and how has the pandemic helped build acceptance of the need for openness and neutral hosts?
0: Yeah, uh, good question. So I think on the, the issues front, you have the same issues that are impacting, you know, by and large, you know, every sector out there at the moment in regards to supply chain and logistics, you know, and ensuring you, you can you control those things as best as we can in a high inflationary environment, making sure you're protecting your costs and deployment, et cetera. So we've seen those as direct um, impacts now sort of I'd like to say post pandemic if we can almost get to that point uh, hopefully in the next few months uh some normality will resume um but yeah the actual the one of the the big um winners if we can say that um uh, you know and I say it uh, apprehensively given given the uh, the struggles that the pandemic's brought but it's certainly the realization of the essential nature of broadband uh and and not just uh, to you know, to businesses, but to homes, and making sure, and to to schools, and to you know, underprivileged or deprived areas of our community, that that fi- access to fiber optic high speed broadband is as essential as water, and that has then matriculated itself into the business models of of pretty much every telco out there, um, and yeah, the the cable companies are obviously doing what they can with their cable infrastructure and making some some good strides to um, but everyone is doubled down investments in their infrastructure in this space as they see the market now. Whereas, you know, go back five years and, you know, it was a real struggle to to sell the idea to private capital markets that an investment in broadband against, you know, uh, the big tier one providers that have controlled this market for two decades uh, was a prudent investment. You know, they, they just didn't believe that you could go in and invest fiber into a new city and 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 that people would move away from the incumbents, you know, add, a, add enough, you know, at a higher percentage to high enough percentage to make the economics work. Uh, whereas, yeah, you know, fast forward now, pre- pretty much this was happening pre pandemic. You know, We, we, we got our initial funding through pre pandemic, um, for our, our types of projects, but certainly through, and, and hopefully as I say, post pandemic, we've seen a huge influx of, of, uh, new funds and, and, uh, LPs and GPs looking to get into the marketplace and invest into this sector um, as quickly as possible. And you know, we're going to see an awful lot of activity over the next um, 12, 18 months and, and hopefully yeah, the the country yeah, covered within 10 years.
1: Tell me about those next 10 years. What is the evolution of open access fiber?
0: Open access fiber is, is evolved um, already. It just hasn't been proliferated. So, um, I, I, yeah, there'll, there'll be a little bit of further evolution in terms of the nuances of software applications and ease of accessibility. But I think as the next, what you'll see is a real proliferation. So, you know, it's not just sci-fi networks um, who are out there, you know, flying, flying the flag for competitive networks. There are, yeah, now a, a brigade of, of other, um, you know, revolutionary businesses stepping up as, as sort of startups in, into this space to try and, yeah, move that on. And I wouldn't be surprised you know, in 10, 15 years if you don't see, start to see some of the incumbents actually opening up their own networks. I could see that on the, on the horizon, whether it's in the next 10 years or, or whether it's slightly post 10 years. Obviously, you know, I don't have a crystal ball on that. But it wouldn't surprise me if we, we start to see a lot of other networks become more open uh, over time rather than more closed networks
1: i see over the next decade uh, an explosion of technologies that will all be leveraging the ultra low latency that comes with 5g wireless and the ultra high speed that comes with it as well autonomous vehicles are going to need a a certain type of of connectivity the augmented reality sunglasses that i'm wearing will require another that sort of thing and it all requires edge cloud technology to ensure that we have that ultra low latency. What's the role of of open access fiber in that world where we're going to need to have near-edge cloud computing, edge cloud computing, as close as you can possibly get to that user equipment?
0: What I I believe is we we see a a convergence in terms of the customer experience between someone having a a separate wireless service to something that's wirelined at home. We can see a convergence here between having a seamless integration between having your your home service, because 5G is going to be limited to what it can do in the home. You're going to need the home service, especially for all the applications that are, well, even though applications out there in terms of yeah the, the metaverse that's yeah, coming on as well, you know, there's just no way that 5G is going to be able to do what you need to do inside the home. But having that merger between indoor to outdoor and having that seamless yeah, connectivity and have those same needs that you have when you're at home, met when you're outside of your home i think yeah that's what these networks are going to enable and not so much just because they're open access but um if they've been architected in in the right way so you know not all open access networks are made equal yeah but if the if the network has been architected in the right way so as to yeah without just thinking about i must sell services to the home i i must sell the fastest internet i can to the home that's all i want to do if it's been architected around enterprise-class services, business, residential, you know, video, internet, voice services, and then all the smart city applications, knowing that you need that redundancy and resilience in your net, in your entire network in the last mile is something that it, you know, we take up as a, another step. and And I hope, I honestly hope, others that are out there doing similar things to us are doing the same to make sure that you've got that resilience and reliability in the last mile now. Um, and that, that's what we do with our network architecture. So we're not just talking about, you know, a couple of rings in a city and that makes up our, our network. You know, ours is far more of a of a star or a mesh type network architecture. And, and that's key for enabling those types of core uh, essential services, you know, not just 911, but when you think about auto, autonomous vehicles, that low latency you're talking about, that's great. But if you lose service... What's the car going to do? Um, you know, I'm sure there'll be a bunch of protocols, but it doesn't want to lose service, right? But So the reliability of that low latency network is absolutely critical. So we're, we're in the process now where we've solved speed. We now need to solve for reliability. And those networks that aren't being built today solving for reliability are going to have pitfalls and and lose out on opportunities to implicate Im- implement um, fantastic, you know, next generation services, autonomous vehicles, and other low latency driven applications in the future.
1: So then on the topic of pitfalls, what's the one challenge to the neutral host business model that most industry players don't understand, but must overcome if they're going to play in it?
0: Oh, that's a good one. And you could have me revealing secrets, Michael. I don't know whether I I don't know whether <laughs> I should reveal that one. Tell us all. <laughs> Something that all providers out there that are going out there investing at the moment are, are going to face a big issue on it, is delivery, especially with the infrastructure bill. going to be a huge you know, strain on, on labor and supply and materials, et cetera. But I think from a technical standpoint as a neutral host, that, that software uh, layer and the management systems that you put in place is something that we've seen quite often underestimated on how important that is to make sure you've, you've, you're able to actually manage that uh, complex environment with multiple services across it.
1: So then on the topic of revealing secrets, how do you avoid being perceived as a threat to incumbent CSPs? You can't.
0: <laughs> because because of that corporate culture that we we mentioned earlier. Yeah, we're we're coming in um certainly you know, three years ago, four years ago we were coming in and, and instantly, regardless of what we were doing, what we were saying, you know, we we were a threat. Um although frankly they didn't think we were much of a threat because we were so small back then. Um, whether they think they were much of a threat now is is yet to be seen, frankly, even though yeah, we're talking about a few million you know, units that we'll be passing. Yeah, that's still relatively small compared to an AT&T, right? So um, I think yeah, we, we always welcome incumbent providers to work with us. But as I say, the, the, the corporate you know, philosophy and strategy at the moment, for a lot of them, just won't align. But it makes an awful lot of sense you know, if you're on an, uh, you know, an aging infrastructure in your market and you've got someone who's coming in to build a competitive network, in a you know, fiber network, which has got you know, the most resilient, the most reliable, the fastest network, frankly, better than the network that you've got, and you don't have to spend any money on it, and you can transfer all of your existing customers across to it. It's a bit of a no-brainer, frankly, um, in terms of yeah, the long-term prognosis for for those two, for those two infrastructures going toe to toe, to to jump across and seize advantage of not losing your customers to someone else coming in, but actually taking advantage of capturing them and maybe expanding your customer footprint on a, on a better network.
1: Well, it strikes me that there is a definite future where CSPs work with openness and neutral hosts because you turn something that would otherwise be CapEx, your capital expenditure, it becomes an operating expenditure and you can free up that CapEx to use it elsewhere.
0: Yeah, exactly. For the, for the innovation of better products and services or purchasing content, um, which, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the providers are moving into obviously acquisitions with, with Time Warner and and, uh, and, you know, and Fox and, and all, all, the, all those heavy content providers. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So I can't argue against you on that one, unfortunately, Michael.
1: <laughs> Will fi provide customer services from Google, Amazon, Apple, or Meta? Um,
0: so we we don't directly provide any services. If any of those organizations want to approach us because there's a solution they want to deliver to a market, then that's a conversation we're able to have. have. But, yeah, we don't go out there delivering any services. Um, but, you know, if yeah, Facebook requires some connectivity through town, or they want to, yeah, create a digital, yeah, learning hub in the middle of a community for, yeah, for for metaverse, yeah, education. Um, then yeah, they can work with us, and we can provide those types of types of solutions. Or yeah, or they can work with one of the service providers on our network, depending on yeah, what the what the specifications are of what they're looking looking for.
1: So then, to ask an awkward question, how do you avoid? the moniker of becoming a dumb pipe, where it's just the pipe you're providing. Don't you want those value-added services? Yeah,
0: that's because, that's yeah, we're, we're not just the pipe, exactly. Um, as one of the key fundamentals of what, what we do is we provide the, the a circuit-based system. So we provide all the electronics um, that enable the connectivity uh, across the network. Uh yeah. So that that's how we avoid that one really is by providing what you'd really call more of a sort of a managed service, but you're providing that to those companies. You're not providing it to yeah, direct to consumers.
1: So how do we leverage open networking to monetize 5G? The open
0: networking point comes down to what the corporates want to do. Yeah, you've got the four four big guys out there. Or what three yeah, now four four big guys out there who are who are trying to to proliferate the the 5g cell sites now it doesn't make a lot of sense to to me for at uh, or to them really to try and stack themselves all up on the same pole and same mast you know which is what they sort of have to do at the moment in a lot of markets because they don't have you know that density of a fiber footprint but where you have these networks that are built and um yeah i guess yeah an open network that's built you could have a theoretically a closed isp network that's built that they still enable to be open for for 5g purposes you could have that um with us obviously we we're open on 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 the 5g and 4g side of things so you know any of those carriers can approach us and and we can work with them to, to deliver fiber to their cell sites but the key again comes back down to the network architecture and these builds that that we do and others do you know, a city-wide build, and so, you know, we're going up and down both sides of every single street practically in a city. So that gives you um, hundreds, thousands more potential uh, demand points, as we call them, or points of access to the network than you would would ever have if you're building a discrete 5G network, you know, uh, where you just have to you know, try and get to you know, half a dozen or a dozen or maybe a hundred cell sites across a city um and that's a dedicated project with all the capex involved for just that project and you've got to amortize that infrastructure spend with just that revenue um and maybe some additional enterprise revenue that you can get from selling some businesses as you're going past whereas with us you know, we're amortizing our cost over not just 5G but 4G and smart city services and and the the residential and the business access so you're able to bring down that that cost as well um which also helps the smart city side that we discussed earlier, so you can bring down the cost per demand point you know for for five g connectivity you can provide greater availability and flexibility in how they build their networks because you can reach anywhere in the city that they want to go uh, and at, at nearly any volume that they want to go in the city so you, by by doing that you provide the perfect the perfect bed for for anyone to 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 get into and uh, and create large dense um Uh, fully covered 5g networks and the same thing for smart city you know you you can bring down that cost per demand point to such a point that you can actually make these applications now viable you know know, three years ago four years ago it wasn't viable to have you know a a citywide, um you know uh, 4g or 5g supported or wi-fi supported you know 911 first responder system for drones whereas now you can bring down that cost of connectivity to such a point that it that yeah you can have yeah drones be the first responders and beam the signals straight straight into the yeah, emergency response vehicle so they've got live information and visibility of exactly what's happening at that incident whether it be a fire or a domestic event at, at a property they can see exactly what's going on it makes the first res- the, the human first responders far safer and more more adapt and agile on site uh, as well as it, it helps you know, actually cure the situation and, and report that back through the chains of command to make better decision-making you know, at, at sort of centres of excellence. So you don't have to have the fire chief necessarily you know, going out to every single incident to assess where the fire is going to get that get that important insight and his valuable experience um, live there at the scene. If he's got multiple incidents going on, you know, he can be in a control centre and be able to make those judgments on multiple um, multiple incidents, you know, simultaneously, um, and a lot more efficiently. So it enables everyone to be a lot safer, a lot smarter, a lot more efficient, uh, which ultimately, hopefully leads to improved quality of life.
1: So if there's one thing you'd want a 5G provider to know about openness and neutral hosts, what would it be?
0: Don't let the prior conceptions, I guess, of how they must go about deploying their networks dictate how they move forward in the future. There are different ways in terms of business models and partners out there that just didn't exist five years ago be open-minded and come and do your due diligence scrutinize it a lot on whatever network and whichever partner you work with the same way you do anything for the processes and protocols but this is the the time to get out there and get as much market share as, as possible and get some real meaningful coverage uh, over the next five years plus come and talk to, to players like ourselves
1: see the future listen to what's next read about world-changing ideas all by visiting nokia.com slash insights the futurhythmic podcast with michael hainsworth is a nokia original series